This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about credit counseling programs and how they compare to personal bankruptcy. Uh, comparing the basics of both credit counseling and bankruptcy. And we're also going to learn about consumer proposals in this segment. And, and Blair is going to explain the key differences between credit counseling debt repayment plans and debt forgiveness through personal bankruptcy. And then we're going to look at the beloved consumer proposal <laughs> that Blair will tell you is is just the best thing since sliced bread for folks. And uh, I know, Blair, that you, you often talk about when we do this show, um, the number of people each month or each mm-hmm. year and how it grows that people are using consumer proposals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually over 90% of the clients that come to see us um, aren't filing for bankruptcy. They're choosing to file a consumer proposal. And I've been a trustee for 15 years. It used to be 70, even 80% of people were choosing bankruptcy back then. So it's definitely a a huge swing. And especially it's accelerated in the last three to four years to the point where clients, if they can at all afford to do a consumer proposal, and most of the time people can, that's the option that they're choosing. So it's a very great and popular option. That's amazing. Hey, that, the popularity of it now. Mm-hmm. And, and I would think in the long run, it's a, it's a huge cost saver to the, to our system, uh, with people using a consumer proposal versus going through a bankruptcy situation. Oh, absolutely. It's giving the creditors back a reasonable recovery on their debt instead of having to write it off. And it's allowing the person to avoid that bankruptcy, which I see a lot of folks that, you know, if they knew about a proposal 20 or 30 years ago, they told me they would never have went bankrupt for the amount of debt that they had. So there's a lot of people that you know are very happy that they could avoid a more severe remedy. That's really great. Boy, oh boy. Okay. So that's a consumer proposal. We're going to talk about more of that, more about a consumer proposal in this segment. But first, Blair, can you explain what credit counseling is and what it means to file for bankruptcy in British Columbia? Yeah, so with credit counseling, there's a number of different types of models that essentially serve as a means for you to combine your eligible debts into what we call an informal repayment plan. So the way that credit counseling typically works is a credit counselor will help you put together an offer for a monthly repayment plan to your eligible creditors and will approach them on your behalf. They usually try to negotiate a reduction or elimination of future interest charges as part of the plan, uh, but that's generally the best that they can do. There's no reduction in the amount of money that you already owe. It's just stopping the interest going forward. Um, Creditors can choose to accept or reject the plan. And in general, creditors will only work with credit counselors for basic debts like a credit card, a line of credit, or an unsecured loan. And any creditor who just says, hey, I'm not going to be part of this plan, they have the right to opt out at any point um, and require that you pay them separately or even take legal action against you. Uh, When you do your debt repayment through a credit counselor, you can expect, as we mentioned, to pay back 100% of the debt that you owe. You may save on the interest but you've also got to take into account there will be various fees to the credit counselor. Even not-for-profit credit counselors do charge fees for service. 
Uh, comparing to personal bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy is a federally legislated legal process, allows you to have all of your debts forgiven and written off. And it's not by negotiation. It's everybody's legal right that if they find themselves with more debt that they can handle, they're able to get the protection of filing for bankruptcy. You don't need permission from your creditors or the court to declare bankruptcy. And it's one of only two legal debt remedies, the other being a consumer proposal, that can cover virtually all types of debt, including all of the general consumer debt debts, as well as government debts like serve overpayments, tax debts, student loans, even ICBC debt. So it's an all-inclusive, all-encompassing type of debt restructuring tool. Um, the third option, so after credit counseling, personal bankruptcy, as we've mentioned a little bit about a consumer proposal, where a consumer proposal might sound a bit similar to credit counseling in that it is a consolidation of putting all of your debts together. It is a freezing of all future interest, but the biggest massive difference that I hope people really clearly understand is a consumer proposal can actually reduce the principal on your debt. Oftentimes, it can reduce it by 50, even up to 80% of the debt, as well as saving you all the interest charges. So a big difference between what you'd be asked to pay back in a proposal compared to what you might be asked to pay back in a credit counseling plan, with the proposal being more advantageous in just about every situation I've ever seen. And of course, in order to facilitate uh, a bankruptcy, a consumer proposal, uh, you need to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee. And Sands and Associates has offices all over British Columbia, and uh, they're so accessible. And I'm going to give you their phone number if you already know that this is the step and the action that you want to take. It's 1-800-661-3030. So, Blair, what are some of the important details and differences to know about these debt options? Because they are very different and they do impact. I mean, some have a longer impact, I would think, than than the others. Mm -hmm. Well, with the credit counseling program, it's again informal, meaning that there's no legal protection, no legal enforcement, uh, and no legal standing. In a credit counseling program, your creditors can continue to contact you, uh, even pursue collection actions against you, and they could opt out at any time if they no longer like the deal that you're offering them in the proposal. Now, normally, once a creditor has agreed to a, a credit counseling plan, uh, they'll usually refrain from contacting you. Um, usually, they'll stop charging interest, but again, there's no no guarantee. It's just all by negotiation. And the credit counselor has no ability to legally protect you to stop any court actions or to stop a wage seizure. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, any creditors that just say, hey, I'm not going to deal with this credit counselor, there's nothing that can be done against that. The creditor has the right to pursue you for payment, to take legal action, to harass you, all of those things. So a credit counseling plan may not solve your entire debt problem, it may only solve a portion of it. Uh, when you're dealing with a trustee to do either a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, everything is legally sanctioned. So by law, as soon as you sign either a bankruptcy or a proposal, your creditors have to stop contacting you. No negotiation, full stop. They have to just back off completely. And this extends to virtually all debts, including Canada Revenue Agency, and can even stop a wage garnishment. Uh, the law also serves to protect your assets as well as your income from your creditors. So most people think that if you file for bankruptcy, you lose everything. Well, uh, one of the, that's a huge myth in that most people who file for bankruptcy actually have better protection from their ass for their assets because they no longer can be taken to court. Their wages can't be seized. And in just about every province in Canada, and certainly in BC, there are very generous exemptions, which say if someone files for bankruptcy, they're allowed to keep a basically a standard level of assets assets that usually encompass just about everything somebody would have, including their furniture, their clothing, even a vehicle, RRSPs, home equity, you know, everything like that. 
Um, in terms of cost, uh, a big difference in between a consumer proposal and a credit counseling plan um, is just the amount of the debt that you're being asked to pay back. So again, in a credit counseling plan, you need to repay all of the debt plus the credit counselor fees on top of that. Uh, when it comes to a consumer proposal, you're typically repaying just a portion of the debt, what you can afford, and all of the fees are included into that balance. So you're not paying anything extra beyond what you can afford. Now, in terms of the ultimate lowest cost, uh, personal bankruptcy is typically going to be a cheaper and quicker option than either filing a consumer proposal or working with a credit counselor. But again, there might be a whole lot of other factors why someone would be okay to pay back a little bit more than a bankruptcy to get to avoid that whole legal proceeding altogether. Okay. And is somebody's credit history impacted by these different options? Mm -hmm. Well, absolutely. And the what guidance I give to clients is anytime you don't pay your debt back in full, including all the interest charges, your credit is going to take a hit. So even by doing a consumer proposal, and this is a huge surprise to a lot of people, even by doing a consumer proposal where you're paying all the debt back in full, you're just getting a break on that future interest, uh, your debts are going to show that you've actually restructured your debts. It's going to be a negative mark on your credit. And a debt management plan from a credit counseling plan, that's going to be on there for two years following its completion. Now, when you file a consumer proposal, you get a significant discount on the debt, but it actually reports the same as a credit counseling plan. So when I sit down with someone, I say, okay, the credit rating impact on a proposal, it's either six years from the day that you sign it or two years from when it's paid off, which is you know relatively similar to a credit counseling plan, which is two years from when it's paid off. But the big difference is the amount of debt that you're paying back. If you owed $30,000 of debt and you did a credit counseling plan, you'd be paying back that 30,000 plus fees um, and you'd have a similar credit rating impact to as if you did a consumer proposal, maybe paid back a third of that debt. So, you know, maybe something around $10,000, um, your budget would be much better off and the credit rating impact is not significantly different. Um, somebody filing a bankruptcy, it is more of a severe credit rating impact than if you're doing a repayment plan, like a credit counseling plan or a consumer proposal, but it's not life ending. It's the case that a bankruptcy is going to drop off your credit six years after it's finished. Most Bankruptcies finish in nine months, so it's six years after then is when it's gone. But most people can rebuild their credit, restructure things such that even two years after a bankruptcy, two to three years, they're getting offers of credit, they can finance vehicles, people even can get a mortgage, even though a bankruptcy is listed on their credit report and hasn't fallen off yet. So just don't assume that a bankruptcy is a life sentence. Uh, it can be what you need to restart and you can rebuild the credit pretty quickly thereafter. And I, I know that we talk about this on the show every week, but there's such a difference between dealing or, or working with a licensed insolvency trustee and working with a credit counselor. I mean, you've talked about so many differences already in this segment, but mm -hmm. it's, it's so important, I think, to, um, emphasize the, the value of working with a licensed insolvency trustee on this. Yeah, so every licensed insolvency trustee will offer you a free consultation. So we come up with a plan to help manage your debts. But you've got to be careful if you're getting a free consultation from someone that's not a licensed insolvency trustee, because there really is a significant gap in regulations and consumer protection. Uh, a licensed insolvency trustee, federally regulated, overseen by Industry Canada, clear dispute mechanisms, complaint mechanisms, everything like that. Uh, if you're dealing with a credit counselor, there is no government authority that regulates credit counselors as a profession. 
titles like credit counselor, debt advisor, debt consultants. These are not regulated professionals and anybody can use these names to sell advice and services. Um, sometimes people say, credit counselors say, well, we're certified by an accreditation body, but it's often a self-accreditation. It's just a bunch of credit counselors got together and said, okay, we're going to start an industry body, but it's nothing that, that has the robustness of an independent organization or a government organization. And what people should be aware too, and I'd love to, for this to be the last point that we focus on, Elaine, is that many credit counseling agencies are heavily bank funded and some are even registered as collection agencies. So some might promote their options over other options that you would have because that's the only way that they make money. There's a percentage of debt they recover from your settlement. And the government released a great paper just in the last couple of weeks here. I just want to quote from it. They say, it's worth noting that the profit orientation of an organization, whether for profit or not for profit, does not dictate the quality or ethicality of its business practices or behaviors. Nonprofit organizations are different from charitable organizations, which operate under a distinct set of regulations and objectives. So there are no charitable credit counselors in BC. There are not for profits. Uh, the only credit counselor that was a charity actually had their registration annulled quite recently because it should just never have been granted. So please be aware if you're dealing with a credit counselor, you are not dealing with a charity. And the fact that it is a not-for-profit should not give you comfort that it is going to be the best option for you. We'll be back with more right after this. What should you do if you can't pay your debts? That's got to be the number one question, period, that people have and why they'd be coming to see you, Blair. But this is for folks. If you're having difficulty making monthly debt payments or struggling to pay off those credit cards and other bills, we're going to get some great expert advice from Blair on what to avoid if you're in these types of situations. So, Blair, if someone is struggling to make their debt payments or has already missed a payment or more, What's the first thing you recommend they do? Well, the first and the best thing you can do if you find yourself facing a financially difficult situation is to connect with a licensed insolvency trustee that's local to your province and to your community. An LIT, a licensed insolvency trustee, is your top resource for dealing with debt and we're Canada's only professionals fully qualified, endorsed, and authorized to advise you on all of your options and will help work with you through the various solutions that can help you resolve your debt issues. So you might contact a trustee trustee, when you need some insight into your legal rights when it comes to a debt, when you want to know whether a debt is actually collectible or not, and of course, what to do when despite all of your best efforts, you just can't pay that debt back. Um, or if you're making regular payments, but you just need to explore some solutions and how you can better manage your debt. If you're facing an extreme situation, working with an LIT is going to allow you to get protection from your creditors and stop all of these escalating actions like all the collection calls, the demands for payments, um, even court actions. But it doesn't have to be that extreme for you to reach out for help. In my experience, the majority of people that I talk with, they wish they hadn't struggled for so long before getting some professional assistance and support. And I know as an LIT, it can feel overwhelming, it can feel hopeless, isolating, like you're the only person in the world that's struggling with a debt problem. Uh, but you need to understand that there's people here to help. Um, at Sands & Associates, we serve the entire province. We offer our full suite of services from local offices, as well as over the phone and online, whatever is most convenient um, and, and comfortable for you. And you need to know that you're not alone. You don't have to keep your debt problem to yourself or solve it alone. We're here to help you with respect and empathy and without judgment. 
Um, the way that I summarize it, and this is on, on some of our, our marketing materials, and it's, it's true, is that you owe it to yourself to get debt help. Everyone focuses on how much do I owe the bank and how much do I owe the credit card company, but the toll of being in debt and the debt stress is real, and it can significantly impact your physical, your mental health, your relationships, and your overall well-being. So sometimes it's, it's time to stop focusing on what you owe to all the creditors. What do you owe to yourself? So sometimes the most difficult part of solving a debt problem is admitting there's a problem and reaching out for help. But one of the worst things you can do is just trying to ignore the issue because if you don't take action, your situation is very unlikely to resolve itself. It's almost always going to get worse. Blair, what are some of the common things that could happen if a person isn't able to make uh, payments on the debt that they owe? Yeah, the first thing that's likely to happen is your creditor is going to start charging you some fees for defaulting or missing your payments, and they're going to report those defaults on your credit history. Um, they might do some kind of helpful things like hike your interest rate up. So you're already having trouble paying a certain interest rate. Well, they might start to make that an even higher interest rate because that was a preferred rate. If you don't miss payments, now that you're having trouble, they make it even more expensive and that makes your balances get even bigger faster. Um, if you've got a debt at the bank where you do your daily banking, they might start to seize payments from your bank account. Um, they've got what's called the right of offset, which means if you owe a debt to a bank and you have um, some money in any account with that bank, they can go into that account and take the money that's owed. So it's a tip that every licensed insolvency trustee would share is that you should always bank with what we call a neutral bank. So a bank that you have no borrowing relationship with, and that's going to stop anybody from being able to seize your funds without any notice to you. Um, this is pretty common, but creditors might send your account to a collection agency. So for the first couple of months when you're behind, they might be very nice and trying to preserve a good customer relationship. Usually after about three months, uh, they bring in the third parties and whether they sell off the debt to them or just hire them on a contract basis, that's when you'll start to get the incessant calls, the nonstop texts, the threatening emails. Um, and then finally, and I'm seeing this more and more than I ever have before, is they can start to take some legal action against you. So it might be tempting to ignore your mail. You know what it's going to say. It's just going to say the balances are higher, but that's a bad idea. You need to always open all of your mail because a collection agency or a lender, they might be taking you to court. And if you don't attend to that, um, you might be required to show up in court. You'll never get thrown in jail for being criminally in debt, but you might get thrown in jail for not showing up to a court appearance if you're required. So make sure that you don't ignore correspondence from your creditors if you find yourself in debt and the threats are escalating. So before we talk about the potential outcomes if a creditor does start to take legal action against you, I want to remind you, if you want to really sort of nip the situation in the bud, so to speak, and you want to take some action, you want to sit down with somebody, this is how you do it. This is their phone number for Sands & Associates. And a reminder, they have offices all over the province, 1-800-661-3030. Or you can also make that first appointment going to the website at sands-trustee.com. Okay, so this is the scary part. What are mm -hmm. some of the potential outcomes if a creditor does start to take that legal action against you? 
Yeah, it's scary, Elaine, because essentially if you're being taken to court for a debt, unless this debt is something that's just a mistaken identity or something like that, the creditor is going to win, okay? All they need to do is prove that this is a valid debt. What they can do once they've gotten that, it's called a judgment against you, uh, they can do a few different things. They might do all of these. The most severe one for most people is a wage garnishment. So your creditor might get per permission from the courts to take money directly from your wages, and that means contacting your employer. Um, they're able to add on their interest, their penalties, even the legal fees that it costs them to go to court, that can get added to that debt balance. And in the province of BC, they can typically seize up to 30% of your income before it comes to you. So that can just make it impossible for somebody to live and support a family if a wage garnishment is happening against them. Uh, what can also happen is an asset seizure. So a creditor might be able to put a lien against your home, which would be just like another mortgage. And when that house is sold, or when you try to re renew your mortgage, which might be every five years or so for most people, your lender is probably going to say, we're not going to renew this mortgage unless this other charge is paid out. So you might actually be forced to sell the home at that point if you've been sued for a debt and it's now put on your title. And you have to uh, really understand that small balances... Uh, um, are no security that you won't be sued. So prior to COVID, I would have said, if it's under $10,000, the banks are not going to invest the time and sue you. Well, that is now old news. Uh, I've seen regularly clients with as little as $5,000 of debt being taken to court, having wage garnishments against them. And I saw somebody last week with $3,000 of debt. I've never seen such a small balance uh, been taken to court over, but creditors are resurging their collection activities with a vengeance. Now, the good news here is that in general, most creditors take a fair amount of time to proceed with legal action. So you're going to have notice, there's going to be time to respond, you know, you'll know when the court date is, and that gives you all the time that you need to connect with a licensed insolvency trustee, because an LIT can stop any of those proceedings dead in their tracks. So if they haven't gotten that order yet, and you work with a trustee, they won't be able to proceed any further. And if they're already seizing your wages, as soon as you work with a trustee to make a filing, those seizures have to stop right away. So that's a powerful tool the trustee has. Uh, one final thing is just one exception to the idea that you generally have time before a creditor can start seizing your wages is with Canada Revenue Agency. Because they're obviously an arm of the government, they don't have to go to court. Uh, they will give you some notice, but it might be as little as an email or one written notice or perhaps a phone call. And then CRA is able to go directly to your employer um, or register directly on title um, to any real estate that you have. Um, and that can be, again, very shocking. It can be something that happens quickly. And where a normal creditor is restricted to about 30% of your wages, CRA has no restrictions. So I've seen them seize up to 100% of even pension income, of CPP, of OAS. Um, again, a licensed insolvency trustee can stop all of those things, but it also speaks to the idea of you just can't ignore debt and you certainly could not ignore debt to government. Okay. Um, what are the other things that you recommend people do to, uh, that actually people should avoid doing uh, if they're trying to get a handle on their debt? Yeah. So a couple things, you know, one I, I've summarized it here is don't mistake making minimum pro 
payments for actually making progress. So the idea of I pay the minimums every month, my credit rating looks good. I want you to read closely on the statements that you have, any credit card statements where you're carrying a balance. There's a disclosure that says, and it's required by law, if you're only making the minimum payments, how long it's going to take you to get out of debt. I regularly have clients show me their statements where it's 150 years or 200 years, just something so absurd. And even relatively smallish balances like $6,000, for example, which is not nothing, but no one would say that's you know an extremely high amount of debt. That can be decades, up to 40 years to pay off just with standard interest charges. So just because you're making minimum payments doesn't mean you're actually making pay progress to pay down the debt. Um, you also need to be careful about the strategies that you're going to take to repay the debt. If you're not working with a trustee, you might say, okay, well, I'm going to start cashing in some assets. I'm going to withdraw some RRSPs. I'm going to lose those anyway, so I might as well just use them to pay down the debt. Um, and for anyone who's listened to this show for any length of time, we talk about this a lot, especially RRSP assets are completely protected. There's no way you could ever be forced to surrender those assets. You can't be forced to cash them in, but you might be hoodwinked by a collection agent that feeds you basically lies that says, well, we're going to take them anyway, so why don't you just pay them directly to us? So be very careful if you're thinking of surrendering assets to pay off debt, because you might be doing something that you just don't have to do. And then of course, RRSPs are for you. You saved your whole life. They're for your retirement. You probably need that money. So paying it off to debt, well, what type of a situation does that leave you in? Uh, a couple more final uh, pitfalls to, to avoid here. Uh, one is avoid legally involving your family or friends, like borrowing money from them or co-signing credit. Uh, I would say it's never a good idea to co-sign a debt for somebody else or to ask somebody to co-sign for you, because what you're doing is you're adding an emotional charge to the financial pressures of an already stressful situation. And if you're unable to pay that debt back, and if you go and try to work with a licensed insolvency trustee, the trustee can protect you and can say, yeah, you're responsible for paying back, say, 20 cents on the dollar and everything that you need. But that cosigner that you involved, they'll now be responsible for the full balance that you don't pay. So a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to help somebody out by cosigning. I'm never going to be responsible to pay that debt. But you need to understand it can be what's called joint and several liability. Um, so that means if the person doesn't pay, you as the cosigner can be held accountable for 100% of the debt. So it's a veritable mind minefield out there of things you can potentially do that might feel right in the situation, but that can lead to worse outcomes overall. So you just need to get the right advice at the right time. And of course, understand that doesn't cost you anything. You can come directly to a trustee with no referral. You never have to pay for debt advice. And we'd be happy to sit down with anybody who's facing a tough situation and help them see what the options are. Yeah, I think that's so good that you ended with that because there's so many people out there wanting to help you. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment is all about the payday loan loop. We're going to talk about some key risks to using payday and fast cash loans and what to do if you get caught up in that cycle. Uh, Blair has said time and time again that payday and other fast cash style loans are among the riskiest types of debt that experts talk about. And so in this segment, we're going to talk about what makes this type of borrowing so problematic 
and what you can do if you found yourself in that loop. So, and Blair, just doing a little bit of reading about payday loans and specifically in this province, um, BC seems to have some pretty clear rules. Do you know offhand, and I know this is kind of off topic for a second, is BC different than other provinces? Are we more lax or more strict when it comes to these things? Do you have a sense of that? I know the majority of provinces do have their own sets of rules, any of the, the large provinces for sure. Um, I haven't compared against, you know, somewhere like Ontario or Alberta. I think it's in general pretty similar. There's some guidelines around these types of financing, uh, but it still doesn't mean that it's not dangerous, as we're going to talk about today. There's a lot of ways people can get into trouble with payday loans, even though there are some regulations around there. Absolutely. And of course, the cost of things is crazy and it sort of forces people to possibly make some poor choices. And, and specifically, we're going to talk about the payday loan loop. And, and, and uh, I know, uh, Blair, that we'll start off this segment talking about what it is and how it works in this province. Yeah, for, for sure. And payday loans, it's a topic kind of near and dear to my heart because I see it as one of the most dangerous forms of consumer finance. Uh, I remember a, a few years back, I was called by the Globe and Mail to comment on payday loans. And I remember saying, well, these are the crack cocaine of consumer debt. It's so dangerous. They're so addictive. And that there's no way they're ever going to run that quote. And that's actually exactly what they ran in, in the article. Um, so I make no, no bones about it. I think this is a very dangerous style of financing. Uh, what a payday loan is, it's a short-term high-cost loan where the province of BC you can borrow up to $1,500 and you get up to 62 days to pay back the loan. Um, the loan can't be for more than 50% of your paycheck. Uh, you can get the loans either in-store or increasingly online. And the idea of a payday loan is, you know, different than a credit card or a long-term bank loan. It's meant to cover a cash shortfall for just a short period of time with the idea you're going to pay the loan back on your next paycheck. Um, the fees and the costs can vary a little bit uh, from depending on the province that you're you're living in. In BC, Consumer Protection BC oversees payday loans. Um, and in terms of how many people actually use payday loans, it's a bit of a dated study, but it's back to 2016. I've certainly seen it grow since then. But in 2016, the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada said that more than 4% of Canadian households had used payday loans, and that had more than doubled in recent years. And I know from our research, we've seen payday loans as the fastest fastest growing uh, type of debt that our, our clients are presenting with. What's different about payday loans is they're meant to be re repaid in just a few short weeks. Um, you're often able to get the loans without any credit check. Uh, it's usually a flat fee interest charge that's applied when you pay it on time. And in general, the repayment dates are organized right around your paydays. Uh, what the study also found, <coughs> the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada study, it said that less than half or 43% of payday loan users polled actually understood that a payday loan was more expensive than the alternatives. And you might ask, well, well, how expensive? And you know, you often hear, well, credit cards might be 20 or 30% interest. Well, the way a payday loan works, it can be a little bit tough to understand right off the top what the interest rate is, but we've done some of the math for you here. The way it works is a payday lender could charge you $15 for every $100 that you borrow. So if you take out a $500 payday loan, you can be charged up to $75 in interest and fees. But when you do the math, that was a bi-weekly payday loan. So you had the money out just for two weeks to get you through to your next paycheck. That's actually an interest rate of 400%. 
Like that's staggering. Uh, the Criminal Code of Canada says the maximum interest rate you can charge is 60%, but there's special exemptions for payday loans to allow, allow them to charge that much, that kind of fees. So the really important thing is if you're going to take out a payday loan to make sure you can pay it off on time, because if you don't pay it off on time, that 400%, which is already high, it just goes up because they're going to charge you fees if you don't have money to pay that, that account when it's due. Your bank might double you up on an NSF fee as well. It could easily be over $100, the combination of those fees. Um, the lender can continue to charge you interest, and they may bring in a collection agency. Um, and I can tell you from experience that the most aggressive collectors that we've ever dealt with at Sands & Associates are from online payday lenders uh, where they harass, cajole, intimidate every uh, you know type of, of dirty trick you can imagine are uh, what online payday lenders will do to try to extract payment from an individual. So a lot of risks, a lot of high costs, and certainly something that consumers should be aware of and, and think twice, hopefully, before they take one out unless they're very certain they can repay it when it's due. It's almost, uh, it, it does sound almost criminal, doesn't it, that those kinds of fees and, and interest rate charges can be charged to a consumer who's obviously in trouble or needing some uh, support or help to get something paid for. Uh, it's just, oh man, it's just hard to believe that they're allowed to do that. Regardless, they are, that's the fact. Um, and if you are in that situation and you know you need to get some help, 1-800-661-3030 is the number which will get you in touch with somebody from Sands & Associates so you can sit down, they can help you look at your situation and see if there isn't uh, something better that you can do to get you out of that particular situation. Um, we talked about the actual cost of the loan as being so uh, high and, uh, and, and risky, but there's more to a payday loan that's risky. Blair, you have some very clear thoughts about that. Yeah, well, the thing that tends to make payday loans so risky is that it usually doesn't end up at one. It's usually a case that creates a cycle where sometimes people are just frantically moving money around six, 10, even 15 different payday lenders. And, you know, just exploring through an example, you can see how that how that could build up. So if you were to borrow $300 from a payday lender and paying that $15 per $100 borrowed, in 14 days, you have to pay back $345. Again, that's that interest rate of $391% or approaching 400% here. If your usual paycheck is $1,000 after taxes and deductions, and you know, you're stretched to the budget, you need that $1,000 just to meet your current expenses. Well, now you've only got $655 left after you repay your loan. So what do you do? Well, you probably have to borrow again because those expenses need to be paid. And when you compare payday loan costs against other typical uh, means of borrowing, you know, it, it's just crazy the amount of difference. So again, that payday loan we talked about, $45 of interest charges on the $300 for two weeks. If it was a line of credit, assuming a small $5 admin fee, $8 annual interest rate, that'd be less than $6, $5.92 to be exact. If you put it on your overdraft, it'd be about $7.42, again, compared to 45, just a fraction of that. And even if you used a credit card, which again, we're all about, let's not put things on credit cards if we can avoid it, you'd still be paying less than $8 in interest compared to $45. So the challenge with a payday loan is just the interest cost create a gap in the budget. And oftentimes the only way to, to fill that gap is to incur another payday loan and then a third, and, and it can just stress people out to, to the max. And there are limits to how many payday loans an individual lender can give you. But again, people just shop around and there are no shortage of individual payday lenders uh, who seem to have no problem advancing one payday loan after another to people. 
Now, this show is so dedicated towards giving folks a hand and ideas and information to assist them in a, in a debt situation. Um, I, I, and we just have about a minute or so left for this segment, but there are alternatives to payday loans. And can you give, just give us a, a real uh, lovely sketch of those, what those options are for folks if they're just thinking, there's no way out of this for me. What else could I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in some of these will make sense in certain situations, some just won't apply. But it's always important to think about what's the reason for the loan? What is it that I'm trying to, to fill that payment gap on? Uh, the best way to inoculate yourself against needing to use a payday loan is to have an emergency savings fund. So whether that's feasible or not, even starting to put away, you know, $50 a month in the space of a couple of years, that is going to be something that you can dig into if you need to, to meet an emergency expense. Um, in some cases, when you look at what the payday loan is for, if it's for rent, and you you've never been late on your rent before, it's probably worth having a chat with your landlord and saying, hey, can we pay the rent a few days later? If it's an isolated incident, they'd probably be just fine with it. Uh, You can even consider asking your employer for a pay advance or even a payout of your vacation pay. So sometimes having what might not be the most pleasant conversation, but a real conversation with the person that you're concerned about letting down, again, whether it's a landlord or getting an advance on your pay, that can be a great alternative to just borrowing from a payday lender. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment's all about how much personal debt is too much. We're gonna we're gonna get some expert tips from Blair to gauge financial health when it comes to debt. We know that most people seem to be carrying some debt, but just how do you know if you've got a problem? So Blair's gonna share some common warning signs about personal debt levels, as well as give us some tips on how to gauge our financial health when it comes to debt. So Blair, I know that you and your team at Sands & Associates every day help people assess their debt situation, as well as solutions to better management, to better manage it rather. In your opinion, is there a reasonable amount of personal debt to carry or what determines that for folks? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, you know, there's really no magic number when it comes to understanding how much debt is too much. You know, for some people, they really feel just stressed out. They know they've got a big problem when they hit $20,000 in debt. For other people, $5,000 in debt is just an insurmountable burden that they just really need help to address. Um, other folks, sometimes it's at $100,000 of debt when they really feel uh, like their situation becomes unmanageable. So it really does matter what are all the circumstances um, around the, the situation. Um, the eligibility to get help with your debt, the bar is actually quite low in Canada. So you just have to owe a minimum of $1,000 to be able to even declare bankruptcy on your debts. Now, no one files bankruptcy for just $1,000 of debt. Uh, but in some cases, people with, you know, five, seven, ten thousand $10,000 of debt, they're really happy to know that even so-called small debt problems can still get the full benefit of consumer legislation in Canada that's there to protect individuals. So what I encourage people to do is not just to rely on your on paper finances, but also to think about, well, how well are you coping with managing your debt? And are you making clear progress to actually paying your debts off? Because a large debt problem that's getting paid down over time is totally different than, say, a small debt that every month you're just treading water, just paying interest on it. So from my experience, there's a few signs that people can, um, you know, take stock of. And if you're ringing um, the bell of recognition on more than a couple of these, it might be an indication that, yeah, your debt might be the to getting to the point where it is problematic. 
So the first one, the most important one, is are you often or always feeling stressed or worried about your debt? So we often say it on the show, and I believe it's true, that if you think you have a debt problem, you're probably right. So just feeling that anxiety, they're not being able to get on top of things, that's a big indicator. Uh, if you're only making minimum monthly payments on your credit card debt, that is not getting you out of debt. That is keeping you in debt for decades. So just keeping up on only the minimums and feeling even stretched to do that, that's another big warning sign. Uh, if you're regularly relying on credit to meet your costs of living, uh, or every month you're taking on more debt, the balances just go up. Of course, that's a risk factor. Uh, when you look towards your government obligations, if it's been years since you filed your taxes, uh, or you owe the government some money, Canada Revenue Agency, and you're just you know waiting with bated breath, and what are they going to be to be doing? What are they going to do to try to collect? You know, that's a big warning sign. And then finally, a very typical one is: Are you getting collection calls? Are they starting to seize your wages, or even trying to? take you to court you know debt can really snowball over time and sometimes people just get used to adapting and you know just getting through to the next month um, and it can start to feel really normal being in a situation that's completely abnormal where you're really a slave to your creditors at that point Excellent. Um, and if you already know that you're in a situation that you could use some assistance and a real sit down with someone from Sands and Associates to figure out your situation, 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number. Sands-trustee.com is the website where you can also make that uh, appointment. And of course, offices all over British Columbia. So let's, let's decide then we're, we're going to have a sit down. We're going to, I'm going to take a look at all at my situation. What are some of the potential considerations for that personal financial check-in that we're going to make? Yeah, well, the same as, as you would do a check-in on your car, your home, or even, you know, go to the doctor as regularly as you can for a, a regular checkup, you want to do that same thing with your finances. So a couple of key things to do is to sort through your paperwork, uh, make sure you're filing or even shredding any bills and statements that you don't need to have close at hand. Uh, we recommend that you check your credit history report to stay ahead of errors, inaccuracies, or even fraud. You can do that for free once a year, uh, but don't be misguided in thinking that, hey, just because everything shows that I'm paying up to date, my credit score looks okay. That means that I don't have a debt problem because sometimes the people with the best credit ratings actually have high amounts of debt. They have no savings, no assets, and it's just a matter of time uh, until that credit rating has to take a hit when they're not able to pay their debts back in full. But you do want to make sure at least that your credit report is accurate. You want to make sure that you've set some financial goals and started to track your progress. Uh, the best financial goal for safety and then also for a sense of pride too is to have some savings. So we've spoken before about how important an emergency fund can be, uh, but are you saving for your retirement funds? Are you saving for irregular expenses, the things you know are going to come up once a year, maybe you know car maintenance or something that, that's going to happen that you need to have money put aside for, uh, or even a vacation? Uh, one other check-in that you can do, and this is a, a bit of a blunt instrument, but I like it, um, is to say, okay, here's a bit of a test on whether you think you have a debt problem. We call it the rule of 60 math. And it's a very simple calculation where you just take all of the debt that you have, excluding a mortgage or a car loan. Those are secured debts and they're a little bit different. But all the debt that you have, maybe credit cards, lines of credit, student loans, income taxes, everything like that, and divide that number by 60. So if you had $30,000 of debt, 
you divided that by 60, you'd get $500. And I want you to do a little bit of a, of a gut check there. Is that a monthly payment that you could handle to get out of debt? Um, because if it's the case that there's no way, you know, you're not paying $500 per month and you could never pay that, well, then you definitely need the help of a professional because even consolidating your debt and putting it all together, you're not going to be able to afford that payment if you can't handle the rule of 60 math. So that's when someone should definitely come to see a trustee is if they look at their total debts and figure out even if they paid it off in 60 equal payments with no interest, they wouldn't be able to afford that amount. That's when they can certainly get a better outcome from working directly with a trustee. Okay, so it's come become pretty clear that I do have a debt problem. Um, what what are my next steps at this point? What else what else should I do? What can you help me do at this point? Well, the best thing to do is to talk with a licensed insolvency trustee as soon as possible. Nobody connects with us too early. So many people connect with us after years, months of suffering, and anything we can do to shortcut that is great. Um, don't ignore the problem. Debt problems don't get better. They only get worse by definition as the charges continue to accumulate. But also don't assume that you don't qualify for help. There's a lot of people that eventually come to us and say, well, I thought about this years ago, but I thought there's no way I could do a proposal. Or, you know, if I did a bankruptcy, I'm sure this would be the consequence. And no, actually, the consequence was quite different than what they had assumed. So it's an LIT, a licensed insolvency trustee's job to explain to you all of the options that you have to deal with your debt, and then to work with you to execute on those those options if you choose to do so. You also need to be very cautious about where you consider getting debt advice from. So if you're not dealing directly with a licensed insolvency trustee, you are at risk. So people like debt consultants, even credit counselors, um, there are varying degrees of honesty, of competence, uh, but there's no gray area in that anybody that is not a licensed insolvency trustee can't help you restructure your debts legally. All that they can do is informal negotiations with creditors, and oftentimes you end up paying some pretty significant costs um, and getting a worse outcome than if you had worked directly with a trustee. Uh, when you sit down with a trustee, we're not going to jump right to the solution that we think works best. We're going to understand your situation, understand what are your goals, what are your objectives, how much can you afford to repay, what's your timelines like of when you'd like to be out of debt, and what are all the personal and financial situations about your situation or personal and financial characteristics about your situation. Are there kids at home? Are both parents working? Um, is somebody ill? Are there big expenses coming up? Um, all of those things will be taken into account when you sit down and work with a licensed insolvency trustee. And it's, and it's pretty easy to do. Um, Sands and Associates has offices all over British Columbia. The phone number, it's a 1-800 number. You can call and set up an appointment to sit down with someone, regardless of where you are in BC, in order to do that. 1-800-661-3030. Um, I think, Blair, you guys are still uh, doing Zoom um, appointments, etc. as well, correct? A any method under the sun. So you can come in, you can see us online, you can talk to us over the phone, offices everywhere, but a lot of people are meeting us virtually via video and telephone these days, so absolutely. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.